All right, so you guys, a lot of you have been here every week. By the way, I believe we are in, if I'm not mistaken, we are in week 52 of, of Acts. Is it week 53 of Acts? So we are in week 53 of Acts. So we've been at this over a year, uh, which is very cool. And we're, we're just now going to finish up maybe uh, Acts 19. So uh, we've, got a, we've got a ways to go, but we've decided to, uh, to stick with it because it's so important that we understand the the history of our faith and the history of our church and how it developed, understand that Acts is not poetic, it's not allegorical, it's not figurative, it's, so it's not like, say, Proverbs or um, uh, Revelation, right? So it, but it is a historical account by a doctor, Luke, uh, who was, it seems, paid to, do, to give Theopolis a historical account of the early church, right? So it is the continuation almost of Luke's gospel. So this is this is the context of what we're listening to. Now, today, we're going to cover a lot of material. We're probably going to cover it kind of quick. So um, I'll have the Bible verses on the, on the uh, screen for you. And if you have, your, you have your Bible, everybody bring their Bible. Oh, we got a few Baptists here. I see paper out there. Uh, if, if you have your Bible, you can follow along there. We use the ESV here. Uh, so if you want to have the same exact verses that we have on the screen, you want to go to your ESV. Uh, but we, you need to understand, I think, in context, this is, this is kind of the end of Paul's third missionary journey. So it is, I think, like late 50s, 54 to 58, I think, was Paul's. Is that right? Is Ernie looking? Is he Googling it right now? Am I about to be in trouble? It, I think it ended like, well, we know it had to end before 62, and I don't want to ruin the story for you, but... It had to end before 62 A.D. So we're talking late 50s, maybe 54, 58 A.D. Um, so it's not very far removed. It's only 20 or 25 years removed from the resurrection. So, and Paul's been, as you guys are aware, have been very, very busy. So uh, we're going to see today that, that the work that Paul's doing is beginning to get traction. It's really beginning to affect, it's really beginning to affect the, uh, the, known, the known world at the time, and, and he's still in Ephesus, and we're going to go into uh, verse 21 right now. So if you have Acts 19, verse 21 open, that's where we'll be. And it says, now after these events, uh, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must see Rome. So we know Paul throughout Acts is longing to visit the church at Rome, uh, and having sent... Uh, so he's, I must also see Rome. And, and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed for a while. So he's in, he's in uh, Ephesus, which is, which is what, they call, what they call Asia back then is not what we would call Asia now. So he's not in China. He's, he's down by the Mediterranean Sea in what would really be Turkey, Turkey-ish now for us, right? And it's not terribly, it, he's not very far from Greece. So he's going to send, uh, when you hear Macedonian scripture, by the way, you, it, you think Greece because that was a, a common empire at the time, so, or prior to the time. So the, uh, he's going to send Timothy and Erastus west, and he's going to stay for a little while in Ephesus, and then he's going to head, eventually make it back to Jerusalem. This is his plan. So this is where we are now. So he's sending folks uh, He's sending folks on in his stead, and he's going to stay for a while in Ephesus, which is a very big city. Ephesus is one of the bigger cities outside of Rome, 
at this time. So this is not uh, a little camp that he's staying in, but Ephesus is probably second to Rome. It's the biggest city in the Roman Empire. So about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. I've highlighted the way because, as we know, before the Christian church was called Christians, before we were called Christians, we were called part of the way, or Christianity was called the way. And Luke, Luke uses that terminology quite a bit. Uh, a man named, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So... I'll give you a little background story on Ephesus. There was a, apparently there was a meteor that crashed in Ephesus or just outside of Ephesus. The, the, the Ephesians took that to mean that that was a deliverance of a god, right? So they, uh, they built where the, where the, where the uh, meteor crashed, they built a giant temple, right? Uh, which is, was one of the seven wonders of the world. So the, uh, this is a huge temple. This is a huge event in this part of the world. And so the city of Ephesus kind of was built around the Temple of Artemis. So it would be like uh, opening up Disney World in, in Orlando, and then all the businesses that, that made their money from Disney, uh, that's kind of the dynamics of Ephesus at this time. So Ephesus was, was kind of was developed because of this temple. So this temple is no small deal to Ephesians. So it would be like, uh, it would be if you were from Orlando and you found out they were closing Disney, it would be a huge impact on the economy. Orlando would cease to exist, right? And that's kind of the, 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 the temperature in Ephesus at the time. They held this temple in, in high regard, very high regard, not just because uh, it, was a, uh, it was a goddess, but also because their economy was wrapped around this temple. Does that make sense? So, and Demetrius is a silversmith, and he makes shrines to Artemis. And, and this brought, like it says here, it brought no little business, or it brought a lot of business into the town of Ephesus. Their economy was based on the temple of Artemis. Next slide says, uh, so he gathered up a bunch of guys. These he gathered with the workmen in similar trades, and he said, men... You know from this business we have our wealth. So from the making of these, these uh, idols and the making of these little silver shrines to put the idols in, so people would buy the shrines, put them in their home, so they would pray to, to, our, to uh, uh, Diana in their little shrine, right? So they had their little shrines at home, and the other craftsmen would then make figures to go into these little uh, shrines that the silversmith uh, Demetrius made. So... Uh, so we know that from this, they've got their wealth. So he's explaining to the other craftsmen in, in uh, Ephesus at the time. And you see here that they're not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded many and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Well, that should be a no-brainer, right? If I could make God, what would that make me, right? So they're, 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 it's not that they are necessarily not necessarily worshiping the wrong God so much as they don't have a real clear developed concept of what God is because if you could make God, then it could be anything. It could be a lot of things, but one thing it can't be is God, right? So we cannot make God. We can't, we can't invent a God like they did, and which was common back then, uh, but that Paul's telling them that God exists and there's no way that, uh, that we could create a God. 
that there is a single God. Now, monotheism, a very unique uh, concept in the Roman Empire, right? As we speak, the Jews uh, were the monotheistic religion, and they were scoffed and, and mocked for only having one God. It seemed like, uh, you know, you only have one car, you know, you only have one watch. Like, why would you have just one God when you can have a God for everything? That would, you know, it, it, there was a sense of wealth or accomplishment for having more God. So it was very unusual for them to be saying, you know, there's just one God. So they the, understand, too, that the, the Judaism was kind of a closed system. They didn't evangelize. They didn't bring people into Judaism. They kind of existed in a bubble. So the, the laws from the Old Testament were there to set God's people apart, set the Israelites apart. Why they didn't, why they didn't uh, eat certain food or mix certain fabrics it was because they were intentionally, God was intentionally setting up to them to be different and set apart from the rest of the world, which at the time was, was polytheistic and pantheistic, uh, where, where they were monotheistic and, and very closed systems. So they, would be, they didn't uh, go out and try to, to, try to invite you into Judaism it was also an ethnicity. There was a lineage. There was a, so Judaism was not just a religion, but it was also a nationality, and they were very much a closed system. That, of course, changes with Jesus. The whole gospel is that none should perish, that all would have eternal life. It's for the Jews and the Gentiles. So it is a very different approach than they, uh, than they were ever used to. And, and so Paul is basically... By his preaching, he's having a tremendous impact. He's converting a tremendous number of people, so much so that it's starting to hit the Ephesians in the wallet, right? So there is, there is and, and I want you to equate what we read always, by the way, when we read Scripture. I want you to equate that to how can we relate to that today? So if this happened 2,000 years ago, what difference does it make to me in 2019? I think when I read Scripture... I, I, I try to always be conscious of the fact that the fallen state that they had 2,000 years ago or 3,500 years ago is the same fallen condition that we suffer from today. So the same fallen condition that made David lust after Bathsheba is the same fallen condition that, made, that, that I sin with, right? That made Judas a betrayer is the same condition that, that we struggle with, that we suffer from. So there is a correlation between these letters from 2,000 years ago and... How we, are, how we are designed and, and how we live our lives now in 2019. So when I read something like the riot at Ephesus, uh, I can almost relate it to something like Orlando, or I could relate it to something going on today, and I, can, I have a clear understanding. I want you to have a clear understanding that the, the fallen state that they struggled with 2,000 years ago or 3,500 years ago, it's unchanged since Genesis 3. We all have the same fallen condition, the fallen state. And so this is something that, that is why these letters from 2,000 years ago are so important to us now. I won't use his name, but there was a famous preacher being interviewed by Oprah, and he said uh, something to the effect of, Oprah said, when is the church going to catch up with society, right? And, and this, pre this pastor said, uh, they're, they're, we're catching up now, we're beginning to catch up, and this pastor said, I don't think we should be basing our morality on 2,000-year-old letters. So I'll say that again. He's a pastor. Our job is to teach people morality from 2,000-year-old letters. 
We study the letters, and then we come up here and tell you what we found in the letters, right? We encourage you to study the letters yourself. Christianity is based on, in this day and age, is based on drawing your morality from 2,000-year-old letters. And here's a pastor saying we don't, he doesn't think we should do that. So we see, and this is a successful pastor. This isn't Pastor Kevin. This is a pastor that probably flies in a helicopter and, and you know, works out with Justin Bieber and, and those types of things. So... But how dangerous, how dangerous a thought is that? How cowardly a, a, a thought is that that you would shrivel to, the, to earthly things, to worldly things, uh, and fall from your, from your defense of the, of the gospel, to actually be, be ashamed of the gospel message and, and be a teacher and an influential teacher, right? So the idea that gods made by hand are not gods seems like a slam dunk to us, but it didn't make sense to them. So he goes on, and there is a danger not only in this trade of ours, but may come to disrupt, to disrepute, but also may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. So we have a financial argument. We have a financial impact being made uh, by Paul's preaching that they're feeling, but that's Demetrius doesn't think that's going to be enough, so he makes an emotive argument. He makes an emotional argument, an emotional plea that it's not our money that's under attack, but it's the, it's the, goddess, of, it's the goddess of the temple that is under attack. It's our faith that's under attack. There's two different arguments there, and we have to look at it that way. And you'll see in society now, you turn on any news channel you want, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, there's always two arguments being made for the same point, right? So it's always... Uh, gun control because we love kids, right? So it is, um, it is not, un, it's not any different, the argument that Demetrius is making in, in 55 AD or whatever it is, it's not very different from the arguments that our politicians and our civic leaders make today, our business leaders make today. What he is worried about, be clear, what he's worried about more than anything is his money, is his trade is the financial health, which is not a bad thing, but it's the financial health of his, of his city and his culture. Does that make sense to everyone? But he has to, he has to throw in a, an emotional plea, or he's not going to get any traction with this thing. He's not going to upset enough people. Uh, that also that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, that they would then... That if there's one God, if what Paul is preaching is true, then, then our goddess Artemis loses her power, loses her influence, loses her status. Uh, she whom all of Asia and the world worships. So this is not, a, this is not a, a local thing, but this is a very big, powerful, powerful God to them. And keep in mind that he is, he is trying to stir people up and stirring people up with just financial motive isn't going to do it. He's trying to stir people up emotionally. He, he wants this to look like and feel like an attack on their very persons. And that, again, you don't have to watch the news for five minutes to, maybe now that I've mentioned it, to see that that's how this, these arguments are made here 2,000 years later, almost 2,000 years later. We kind of have the same design for the same types of arguments. Uh, when, when they heard this, they were enraged, and they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the, the crowd is, now the crowd is upset. Now the crowd is, they're not so worried about the money and the trade, but they are worried about their, their religion, their temple, their, 
their uh, goddess. So great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater. So now they're fired up. And, and you're going to see they don't even know what they're fired up for sure, and they, there's some confusion. So some of them are fired up about one thing. Some of them are fired up about the other thing. And there is no, uh, uh, it is absolute insanity when they enter a, a, a the theater, which, by the way, which is a big theater, so it would seat 20,000 people probably. So this is, uh, this is where they might meet for public hearings and stuff like that. So they are, the crowd is filled and it's pandemonium. In the next slide we see they drag with them Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, Macedonians who are Paul's companion in travel. So that's not the same Gaius that we hear, we hear, we hear about throughout Acts. It's a different Gaius because the other Gaius isn't a Macedonian. So he's, he's, he makes a point of saying that these two guys were Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when they wished to go into the, among the crowd, the disciples would not let them. Next slide says, but when even some of the Asiarchs, and the Asiarchs were uh, like Roman, not governors, but they were Roman overseers. They would be like an elder board of sorts that represent the Roman Empire. Uh, overseeing this, this region of Asia, right? So they were uh, like politicians for the most part, uh, maybe, maybe politicians bordering on police or lawyers uh, who were friends of his. So they're friends of Paul, so they're not uncomfortable with Paul, uh, and it doesn't really yet make uh, uh, too much of a threat to the Roman Empire, what Paul is preaching. So they, they, they were friends of his, which is pretty cool, and they sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So Paul wants to go be part of this. Paul wants to make the argument. Paul is not saying uh, we shouldn't be draw our morality from 2,000-year-old's letter. Paul's all in. That's why Paul is so effective. Paul's so effective because he believes this. And he, not only does he believe it, and not only does he want it for himself and his friends, he wants it for everyone. In today's society, we see why Christians are why they force their religion or force their beliefs on everyone else. Interestingly enough, everyone else is forcing their beliefs on us, but that's a whole other sermon. But why would, why do Christians force their beliefs? On, if, if you are truly in love with Christ, if you are truly saved and in love with, with Jesus Christ, and, and you understand that that is the way to salvation, you need to want that for everyone, even your enemies. Because nothing that anybody's ever done to you is so bad that they should be separated from their creator for eternity and be aware of that separation. That, pardon the pun, but that's hell. So if you are passionate about your faith and your walk and your church, but you're not passionate when, you, when you're in the Colosseum, when you're in the theater, you're no better than the pastor that says we shouldn't draw our faith from 2,000-year-old letters or morality. The reason, we, the reason we talk about Christ and the reason we evangelize is because, not to fill churches, but to save, I hope it's not to fill churches, but it's to save souls. You should want what you have for everyone. So we are, if you are not living the gospel and spreading the gospel message when you're not here today, in a roundabout way, you're, you're, you're being very, very selfish. And society will tell you it's selfish for you to mention this stuff and don't mention it in school and don't mention it in a courthouse, don't mention it in town, Times Square, town Square or whatever. But to not mention it is what's selfish. To not want this for everyone that you know. First, your, smaller, your family and your circle of influence, but when, then where does it stop? What's the great commission but to go make disciples all around the world? 
So Paul wants to go in there and he wants to make his argument, but uh, they, won't, they won't let him, they're urging him not to do it. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. So some are arguing this point, some are arguing that point, some of them are, don't even know why they're there, some, and most of them didn't even know why they had come together. So they saw, they saw an upset crowd charge into the theater, and they were like, well, I'm going to be upset and charge into the theater, just like we do in 2019 whenever we're upset about something. We use social media. We don't have a theater, right? But do we not then get on social media and, and for, for the uh, offense of the month or the offense of the week, do we not participate in, in, and we're not even sure what we're talking about or what we believe on the subject, but we can't stop sharing it on Facebook, right? That's our theater today. But it's very much the same application that happens, that the same fallen state that they feel that they go through is the same fallen state we struggle with today. They're not even sure what they're mad about. Some of them are mad about different things. Some of them aren't even mad. They're just in the, in the theater ranting and raving, like they're at a concert, like they're at a Leonard Skinner concert. So it says, like I said, it, most of them did not even know why they'd come together. So they, they saw a big crowd going to the theater, and they were upset, and we're like, well, now I'm upset. I'm going to the theater, too. I'll figure it out when I get there. You know, like, like Marlon Brando uh, in the wild one, what are you rebelling against? And he says, what do you got? I'll rebel against anything. Don't make no difference to me. So these people don't even know what they're upset about, but they're upset, and they're heading to the theater to, to be upset together be upset to, to enjoy the power of all being upset at the same time in the same place or on the same post or in the same chat room, right? Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. So he wanted to make, if I could fold in some apologetics, he wanted to make an apologia. He wanted to make a def reasonable defense of what's going on. Uh, but he's a Jew, and he's in, he's in, our, he's in uh, Ephesus, right? And and they are not interested particularly in what a Jew has to say on this subject because they are also monotheistic, right? Uh, so Alexander motioned with his hands. He wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they cried out in one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So they don't want to hear for two hours, they chant, shutting down uh, Alexander altogether. They don't want to hear what Alexander said, has to say because he's not, he's not an Ephesian. He doesn't worship uh, in the temple of Artemis anyway, so of course he's not going to agree with them, right? Wait a minute. They only want to hear from people that, that agree with them. Does that happen in 2019? So you're telling me that there, is, there were intellectual bubbles in 58 AD where only like-minded people spoke to each other, and, and every great idea sounded like a great idea. Right? Because everybody in the conversation agrees with you. And they're saying they don't want to hear from the opposition. That's fake news. Right? So let me tell you this. Beware of any ideology. Beware of any belief, any conviction, any lifestyle that flourishes in the darkness and withers in the light. Amen? You understand what I mean by that? Does everybody get that? That if you cannot speak publicly, rationally, and calmly, and not emotionally about something you believe in, huh, you haven't thought it all the way through. That dog ain't going to hunt like that, right? We need to, we need to be talking to people that, that disagree with us or don't believe like we believe. 
That has to happen. And, and believe me, we see an example of it here in 58, but we are more polarized, at least in this country or Western, in Western civilization than we have ever been that in my lifetime. And my lifetime's like 30 years, Pete. I'm almost 30, bro. I never even heard of Leonard Skinner. I don't know what they were talking about. Okay, so uh, Alexander strikes out, right? They don't even want to hear what somebody that disagrees with them has to say. That should seem very timely to you guys. That should tie together their fallen condition with our fallen condition today. Does that make sense? So we, we, we study these scriptures, and they're, they're not foolish, and they're not always poetic, and they're not always symbolic, but every, every bit of it is meant for us to understand ourselves. So if the, if the gospel, if the Bible is nothing but a collection of, of incredible exposés of the human condition, it's still the most miraculous book ever written, right? If the resurrection didn't happen, still these goat herders and, and nomads had a tremendous insight into the human condition. They didn't write this book together. This book wasn't written. Don't let the, the secular world tell you that this book was written in four or 500 AD. That's a lie. They want you to believe that. This book was written, by the way, over a period of 1,500 years or so in three different continents, in three different languages, by 40 different people. This is a collection of books. How could they all be on the same exact page over that amount of time from all those different cultures and that many people? And yet what they're talking about and what they've written in that book is all ties together perfectly. And there not be any divine intervention in that. There not be any inspiration in that. That's ridiculous. We can take three like-minded people today and not be able to pull that off in a letter, right? You pick two of the smartest Christians you know, that would probably be me and Pete, right? <laughs> and we couldn't even pull off a, a, a simple rudimentary example of that kind of, of uh, continuity in a message over 1,500 years in three different languages. So this book is, it's the, still, by the way, strangely enough, it's the number one selling book every year. Every year, they, they, people buy more Bibles than any other book. Even Fifty Shades of Grey didn't sell that well. Did I say that right? Is it Forty Shades? I don't know. Anyway, I didn't read it, so, so you know. I didn't read it. Don't look at me like that, Carrie. I didn't read it, bro. So anyway, they get a town clerk, so they get one of their own. One of their own finally steps up after two hours, and he quiets the crowd, and he says, Men of Ephesus... Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Sacred stone, meteor. Uh, so this is an Ephesian talking to Ephesians right here, and he's saying everybody knows who we are and what we are, right? And why we are, what, who our goddess is. So seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. So we have a rational voice in a very irrational environment, right? We have two sides at least. We seems to have five or six sides at least. Uh, so one guy who they obviously respect gets up there and says, listen, we need to make logical, we need to pick this apart logically. We need to understand this. Uh, 
These things cannot be denied. You ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our goddess. So the assault isn't on their god. They're not speaking against Artemis or Diana. They are speaking for their god, for their belief. So there, this is not an assault, even if there is conflict between those two beliefs. They haven't singled out Artemis like Demetrius tried to make the argument that this is an attack on our, on our beliefs. Really not. Now, it might have negative implications for their beliefs, but he's making the argument that they haven't done anything sacrilegious or blasphemous for, for Artemis. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. Remember, they're, they're, they are truly governed by, this is a city-state, they are governed by the Roman Empire. So they have, they have autonomy as long as Rome says they have autonomy. And when it's time to be not autonomous, Rome knew how to put down the hammer, right? They could shut things down quick. And this is the, the town clerk telling them, you know, we have a legal system that can, that can deal with this. We have pro-councils. The courts are open. There are pro-councils. There are lawyers and the courts are open for a business complaint, for a this is hurting our business complaint. We can, they could bring charges civil charges against Paul and his friends that way, but they, they can't really play the blasphemy card because he, he doesn't mention uh, their temple or their religion, but that he has a different spin on it, right? That there is a single God. Uh, so let them bring charges against one another. That's just, that's fine. That's no big deal. But if you seek anything further, it'll just be settled in their regular assembly. They'll vote on it. They'll talk about it in public discourse and they'll vote on it and they'll hash it out and decide. But if you must act, you can act through our legal system right now. And now we've gone all the way through 20, 20 verses of Acts here, so it's uh, uh, we, we've covered an awful lot of stuff here uh, in this single event. Uh, so here he finishes, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today. Who would charge them with rioting today but the Romans? The Romans are watching the whole thing. What the Romans won't have is a riot, right? So they allowed the Jews to govern themselves in Jerusalem. We remember Pilate uh, in the Passion story was very concerned about making the wrong decision, right? He didn't want to set the Jews off during Passover. He didn't want to set them off at all because he would have to stomp down on that. And he would have to stomp down on that during Passover and that would set the Jews in all-out rebellion, his fear is. So he, would, he did not want to, uh, he, wanted, he didn't want to judge Jesus one way or another, right? Uh, he did not, and this, this is a commonality. This is every city-state under the control of the Roman Empire. At the end of the day, they don't want to upset each other. They want peace. They allow you to govern yourself as long as you pay Roman taxes, which is a smart way to do it. Uh, but you step out of line, and they'll step you back into line quick. They're Rome, right? They didn't get there by accident. They didn't get there by eating cookies. I mean, they know how to, they know how to lay down the law, and that's, what, that's why they control the known world. So we could be charged with rioting, and since there's no cause that we can give to justify the commotion, so when the Romans finally say, what's all the commotion about? And they say, mm, we don't know. You know, we don't really know. It's... Some guys are upset about this. Some guys are upset about that. They just seem to want to riot. Uh, and so without a defense or a way to justify the commotion, we can be... And when he said these things, they dismissed the assembly. So they, 
the town clerk settles him down. So Paul starts a riot in Ephesus. Paul, I don't know if you picked up on this, he tends to start a lot of riots. Uh, Paul is finishing up his third missionary journey right now. Uh, we're in, we just finished, so we'll start next week, Acts 20. I didn't know that we would get all the way through this. I uh, wanted to be clear on the historical context of what was going on here, and, and, and so everybody knew that this isn't a fairy tale. This, is, this, this could and would be going on right here, right now. Christians have a, a tendency to say, well, well, if I was there, I would have. <laughs> Nobody would have hurt Jesus. Nobody would have crucified Jesus if I was there. Yeah, they would have, right? One of us would have been Judas, right? One of us would have been Peter. We all would have hide. We all would have denied. We have the same fallen state here today in 2019 that they had in 33 AD. We, we have the benefit of hindsight. But if this stuff went down, and if, if something like this goes down around here, we'd have to decide what side of that argument and what side of that battle we're going to be on. As Christians, are there hills we die on and hills we don't? Right? Every, Everybody agree there's hills we die on? Everybody willing to die on a hill over your faith, over some kind of right? Probably not, right? The same fallen condition we have, they had then, we have now. We're scared because they were scared. We know they were scared because we're scared today. It's not any easier for us. Right now, in this environment, when somebody persecutes my Christianity, they unfriend me on Facebook. Sometimes somebody will say something mean to me on Twitter. You know, it's tough. That may not always be the case, Christians. That may not always be the case. I don't know if everybody read the whole Bible, but I don't want to ruin the ending for you, but it gets ugly. It's tough. We need to know what we believe. You need to believe what, we, what you believe. And if you're not sure, you need to be networking and talking to other Christians about it. If you have questions like this, there's people here that study and, and, and that will sit down and spend time with you on these topics. Ernie and Pete, myself, uh, Adam. There's guys here that study scripture on a regular basis and be willing to talk to you guys about this if there's things you, you lack confidence in. Let me tell you, if there's scripture that... that that is unattractive to you, if there's scripture that even repulses you, don't turn away from that scripture, turn towards it. Because there's something there, God is telling you, you need to learn something here, right? So we be very careful not to meld and adjust scripture to fit your life and your style, your lifestyle and your beliefs, but that you, you change your lifestyle and your beliefs to fit scripture, whether it's comfortable or not. And I'm telling you that because I've had to do it myself. Anybody that knows me well and knows me long knows I've had to make adjustments in my behaviors in my life. God is everything or God is nothing. Right? He either is or he isn't. It's not, in that sense, a God of my understanding. It may be how I understand God. But a God made by hand is no God at all. God made by my imagination is no God at all. A God made by what makes Kevin comfortable is no God at all. If I understand my higher power's will, guess what I have? An equal power. That ain't God. 
Last thing I need is somebody just as smart as me to help me through this life. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I'm blessed with stunning good looks. That ain't funny. But I'm not very bright. I'd rather look like this. Push come to shove. This is a moneymaker right here. I'm going to make an idol about myself. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap it up, guys. We're going, to, we're going to pray together as a church family before we go. I want you to understand that, that what, I, what I said here today, whether, whether it was said well or not, you know, it's said out of sense of love and service. What I said here today, I actually believe. What I said here today, the reason I come up here and stand up here is because I want you to believe it too. I don't want you to just nod your head when we're in church on Sunday. I want you to come in Sunday morning and tell me about the miracles of your last week. I want to know about your coworker. I want to know about your office mate. I want to know about the cop at a red light that you talked to, you talked about the gospel to. I want to know that you can give a reasonable defense for the hope and the joy and the love that's inside you. I want to know that you can't be just knocked off by a good argument by an atheist. The only one in the world that knows the Bible better than a Christian is an atheist. They take the time to study. They have their God. Don't think they don't. Just like in art, just like in Ephesus, they'll push back. They're pushing back right now in 2019. The sin nature that the Ephesians had or the lack of knowledge or, or insight or discernment that the Ephesians had in 58 AD, we have, our friends have, our atheists and agnostic and secular humanist friends have now. They may just be wrong. Maybe they never saw somebody live that gospel. Maybe you're just the person God put in their lives to soften their hearts and open their minds. I'm certain that's how important that book is. I'm certain that's why I teach out of it 2,000 years later. Dear God, again, thank you for the opportunity to assemble here my church family in your church house in our church home I pray that uh, that you spoke through me to somebody here today God that they might cease fighting they might cease fighting everybody and everything and every thought and every contradiction to your word in their hearts and in their families and in their homes and their workplaces God I pray that you break the hearts of the people in this room anything they put above you pray that you break their hearts today right now for their money for their relationships for their status I pray more than anything father that that you restore the joy of their salvation to Turn them to their natural state, God, their Genesis 2 state. The people in this room, the believers in this room were purchased at a price. 
was free to them, but it was not free to you. God, give them the courage and the confidence to fight for their faith and their salvation and their families and their neighbors. Give them the confidence and the peace to pray for their enemies. You told us what good is it to pray for people who pray for you. Even tax collectors do that. Pagans do that. God, if there's somebody in this room right now that is far away from you, that feels disconnected from you, that doesn't understand you, knock the wind out of them, God. Shut their mouths for them for a minute. Take the cotton out of their ears. Take the hardness out of their hearts, Lord. Let them receive what you're trying to tell them here today, God. Let them spread your, let them be the gospel for Christmas this year. Let them spread your word. Let them study your word. I pray this. I got to pray everything. To the Father, but in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, guys.